Yeah, I think the biggest challenge when I consider the landscape of women's ministry, what's available on in books and in articles and YouTube and so forth, I see that there tends to be an emphasis on felt needs, on reassuring women that they're beautiful, that they're wonderfully made. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've noticed that Psalm 139 is like the chosen text for a woman's retreat or conference. And it's not wrong to reassure women that they're beautiful just the way they are and so forth, but it shouldn't be the most important thing. And rather than focusing, first of all, on who I am as a daughter of the king, I think I first need to remind my hearers that the focus should be on cultivating a deep relationship with God in union with Christ, because knowing who I am is not as important as knowing whose I am. Hey guys, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 239. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. The voice you just heard is that of Angie Thornton. Uh, Angie is currently based in Quebec, Canada. Previously, she and her husband, Dan, served the Lord in Senegal in Africa for 10 years devoted to leadership training. Currently, she's the Women's Ministry Director for the Gospel Coalition Quebec and has an exciting insight into not just women's ministry, but just handling the Bible in a way that goes beyond simply felt needs, but going deeper into the heart of the text so that we can reach deeper into the hearts of our hearers. On a side note, if there are any French-speaking women who are listening to this podcast, or if you know a French-speaking woman, well, make sure that you send on this podcast episode because there's an exciting cohort that's starting in just a few days' time that you're invited into or all French-speaking women are invited into, European, African, North American French speakers, you're invited to learn with Angie and from Angie how to handle the Psalms better. So French-speaking women, that's for you. Hey, everybody else, uh, let me also just remind you that our own in-person upcoming training event is taking place in Boise, Idaho, October 14th and 15th. And so our early bird registration has come and gone. So now it's $59 to register and you can do so at expositorscollective.com. All right, that's enough invitations to online cohorts and in-person training events. I'm gonna get out of the way and let you listen in on this conversation that I had with Angie Thornton. Enjoy. All right. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. Very excited uh, this afternoon slash morning. We're speaking with Angie Thornton. Good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning. It's great to be here. So where is here? There's a lot of places that you've been and where are you currently now? Yes. So I'm originally from uh, Southern California, but I am currently residing in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Wonderful. Any, anywhere else in between? Well, I'm Colombian of Colombian descent. I spent Christmas in Colombia with my mom in South America, and I went to seminary in Chicago, and I was a missionary in Senegal, Africa for 10 years. So I get around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, can you get to the important stuff? Angie, when was the first time that you like taught the Bible in, in public? Sure. So I was a senior in high school. I had just come back from my first summer missions trip. I had given my life to the Lord 
a year or two before. And um, my youth pastor was on fire for missions. So I went on my first summer missions trip to France and I committed my life to missions there. And I had given my testimony in public when we were doing street evangelism. Uh, But it was when I got back that my youth pastor was going to be out of town at the time when we were normally scheduled to meet. And I said, oh, do you mind if I uh, teach the study? And he said, sure. And I really had a passion for uh, understanding how Christ fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies concerning Messiah. And so I put together a list of all of the major prophecies of the Old Testament and the New Testament passages that demonstrated that Christ fulfilled them. And I enjoyed the study. And then the night came when I was giving the study. And first of all, very few people came because, mm. you know, who's Angie? Uh, and second mm. of all, it it was really boring. It was a running commentary, basically, with no introduction, no illustration, no application, and no homiletics. It was all just nerdy facts that I was fascinated by, but that didn't really answer the what, so what question. It was the what without the so what. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So a lot of true things, but not really arranged in such a way that was useful or helpful. Exactly. Hmm. Did you, did anyone tell you? Did, did you, how did you learn what went wrong? I don't even think I realized just how badly I'd blown it because it was just me and maybe four or five uh, younger kids from youth group who yeah. were just like, all right, can we go play basketball now? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think I yeah, probably has the little realized... Caesar's pizza arrived yet. <laughs> exactly. I think I probably realized it could only go up from here, but uh, looking back, I realized how bad it was. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I think that obviously leads straight into that follow-up question. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think you teach like that anymore. In fact, I know you don't because I've listened, but like, how, how have you grown as a Bible teacher since then? What have been the things that you realized are worth um, never doing again? And what are some things you've started doing? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, when I went away to university, I uh, began leading small group Bible studies on my uh, campus with other women that were part of my on-campus Bible study fellowship uh, at UCLA. And I loved doing that and really connecting the texts that we were studying. And I I often tried to study books of the Bible, but we also did, you know, like I think we did Donald Whitney's Disciplines, a, a book on the, the this spiritual disciplines for the Christian life, I believe. Yeah. And uh, so, but whatever we did, I tried to connect the ancient texts with the modern audience. Uh, but it wasn't until I relocated to Chicago to attend Moody Theological Seminary and get my MDiv there that I preached my first sermon uh, in my preaching class, and I was hooked. And after that, I uh, really developed a passion for sharpening my skills as uh, a Bible teacher in in the, you know, I speak, you listen, and then afterwards we discuss it. Uh, and that's not very common. And, and I was one of the only women in many of my preaching classes, uh, but I I really had uh, a unique desire to uh, deepen those skills. And I was comfortable behind the mic. I had been involved in model United Nations conferences when I was at oh. UCLA and, and so forth. And so public speaking wasn't a problem for me. And I just uh, desired to uh, communicate God's word to women and and through this medium. And to be clear, I don't believe that a woman should be preaching from the pulpit on Sunday morning. That is reserved for qualified men or elders. But I've discovered that I've most in my element when I'm speaking at a women's breakfast or a women's conference or a women's retreat where I get to prepare a series of messages through the Psalms, for example, or through Exodus, like I've done at uh, some different women's conferences. And, you know, 
teach or what men would call preach, but I, I call teach. And then um, afterwards, we can have discussions around the table at lunch and so forth. And uh, also when I was on short-term missions trips and even when I went overseas, I really developed a passion for leadership development. And so I was a missionary for 10 years in Senegal and uh, my husband taught at the seminary there, the Bible school training pastors. And I taught women, uh, pastor's wives and women leaders. And so I really wanted to give people the tools so that they could themselves study the Bible and teach it to others. And so that that's kind of been my evolution in um, Bible teaching. Hey, okay. Well, I'd love to, in a few minutes, come back to that notion of like, of teaching women how to, how to teach the Bible. But before I get there, like, I, I loved your, your kind of summary of um, teaching philosophy as like, I speak, you listen, we discuss it afterwards. Um, <laughs> in, in this podcast, uh, you know, so much of the guests, so many of the conversations have kind of revolved around those first two. Mm-hmm. I speak, you listen. Or actually, mostly the first one I speak. Um, but but what what's the role that you see with that third part of like we discuss it afterwards? How did what role does that play? Like, are you thinking of those post teaching discussions in your preparation, or mm-hmm. what's that third ingredient? Because no one has really highlighted it yet. That's a great question, and I think that as a woman Bible teacher involved in women's ministry, I have sensed that sometimes people are like, well why don't you just lead discussions? Like, why do you have to speak behind the mic? Like, can't you be willing to hear others? Whereas I can't imagine that a man with the similar gift set that I have would be told, well, why don't you just, you know, ask questions instead of speaking, you know? Uh, but <laughs> I've mm-hmm. realized that, yes, my gifts lie more in what men call preaching, uh, you know, in, in me speaking, yeah. monologue, yes. Uh, but it's essential that we help our hearers assimilate what they've heard. So what often many pastors do is that there's small groups that meet throughout the week in which they've prepared study questions on the passage or discussion questions. And then different uh, members of the church lead these discussions. And that's one way to do it. And what I try to do with uh, the studies that I give on my YouTube channel, where I've uh, recorded messages that I've given at women's retreats and so forth, or uh, during the pandemic, I just uh, studied through the book of Mark and I filled in the gaps of what I had not been able to teach at these women's studies that I led. But I always tried to prepare study questions for either pre-viewing. Uh, so yeah. for example, if you think of Jen Wilkin or, or um, these different, Nancy Guthrie or Kathleen Nielsen, these women Bible study leaders who have video Bible studies available where you have questions ahead of time that you prepare the answers to, and then you go to watch the video once you've done your homework or else, you know, you can do them afterwards, but either way, you're, you're digging into the text for yourself. And then you're considering the text in light of what the teacher has said. I I try to always help the students get together and dig deeper on their own. So with every video, I try to include a link to the Dropbox document with questions for discussion. Wow. That's a very well thought out answer to mm-hmm. a, a question that I just threw at you out of <laughs> out of nowhere. Okay. Do you think that I don't want to get like you could skip this as you want. Do you think that like men would benefit from putting the kind of intentionality into the group discussion parts as what you've just put through? Is this is this merely a gendered thing to do or do you just find this to be a useful teaching tool? 
I, I've seen this done in a lot of churches where the pastor prepares the questions that go with the sermon and emails them to his Bible study leaders. So okay. I realize that some churches don't have small groups that meet throughout the week or that they do something else when mm-hmm. they meet throughout the week. But in my church, there's been seasons where when we meet together, we discuss the sermon and here's the questions for discussion. So I think that there's great benefit. And that's why uh, brothers who preach regularly uh, have also included this kind of discussion in their uh, sermon preparation. And I just, I, I think that digging into one passage well and everyone in the church doing it together in their small groups is a great way to live the scriptures out and apply them together. So you can even say to one another, oh, how did the sermon speak to you this week as you processed it in your small group? Uh, so I think it's a great tool for churches as well as for women's ministry. All right, final question on this. Uh-huh. Um, okay, a question about questions. What are good questions and what are bad questions? Oh, that's such a good question. And I'm not (laughs) great at question asking. And I have a a team member that works at me in my ministry that she's so gifted at this. And so for the last two times that I taught, the last two times I taught was at the Moody Church, which is our sending church in Chicago as missionaries. And I taught at their women's ministry called Sisters in Christ. And so I asked Valerie, I said, Valerie, could you help me prepare good questions. And she's so gifted in this area. And she's not necessarily as comfortable behind the mic, quote, preaching uh, or teaching um, in monologue style, but she's very good at leading discussions. So she's adept at adapting my manuscript into a set of questions that help me. Uh, So I wish I were better at it, but I tend to, for the questions that I prepare beforehand, that I ask women to study the text for themselves using the questions, I tend to just um, ask questions like, well, who are the main characters in this pericope, in this narrative? And where do we see the emphasis of the passage? What are the repeated words? So they're more hermeneutics questions. And then I also try to think of application questions like, well, how are you going to take what you think the main point of this passage is into your week as you go to work, as you minister to your children and so forth? Yeah. Well, I I have a lot in common with you in that I also am not good at writing questions. <laughs> um, yeah, and our, we have yeah these small group discussions that um, are actually going to be restarting again in about a month. Took the summer off, and you know, so I preach the sermon. I send my notes to this team, and there's actually this great great team. Uh, a guy called Dan Price leads it, and they go to his house, eat lunch talk things over and they try to have different representation of different types of people mm-hmm. and then just like talk through it. And then the questions come out of that. And oh, that's um, great. I, I used to try to do the questions, but I found it, it's kind of hard to do the questions yeah. because, and here's, here's why I'm like, well, what else do you need to know? I told you what you need to know. Like, what is there to discuss? You know, um, do you believe this? Yes or no? <laughs> um, Take it or leave it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. All right. So, uh, speaking of possible mistakes that I'm making right now, what are the kind of like you have yeah taught a lot of women in mm-hmm. you know in Senegal currently in Quebec like how to handle God's word and it's obviously it's it's a growth curve you know none of us start great you didn't I didn't um, and we're all progressing but like what are some of the common mistakes that you've observed and. I, I think you're even more dialed in into these. So I'll ask the first question, what's the, what are some common like homiletical mistakes that you see? And then what are some common hermeneutical questions that you see? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge uh, when I f- consider the landscape of women's ministry, what's available on in books and in articles and 
YouTube and so forth, I see that there tends to be an emphasis on felt needs, on reassuring women that they're beautiful, that they're wonderfully made. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've noticed that Psalm 139 is like the chosen text for a woman's uh, retreats or conference. And it's not wrong to reassure women that they're beautiful just the way they are and so forth, but it shouldn't be the most important thing. And rather than focusing, first of all, on who I am as a daughter of the king, I think I first need to remind my hearers that the focus should be on cultivating a deep relationship with God in union with Christ, because knowing who I am is not as important in knowing whose I am. And that is really a philosophy of ministry that affects homiletics because it's so easy to go from the text to us now and skip the them then you know, skip the context. And uh, that's a weakness that sometimes uh, could happen when women aren't taught the importance of delving into the text, uh, studying the original context, and even the importance of bringing Christ into that passage, recognizing, not bringing him in, but digging out the connection between the ancient text and how it points us to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And only after having done that much, then bringing it to us now. Hmm. Okay. I, I agree. But hmm. what if I didn't? Like, why? Why should, why should you take the long route? If, you know, okay. So we start there and then. Psalm 139 says that we're, we're all beautiful. <laughs> There's a lot of other things too, but you know, yeah. like we're all beautiful and fearfully and wonderfully made. Why should I waste valuable time talking about the setting, the kind of genre that it's in, the the ancient, you know, the old covenant? You know, why spend time when really these girls just need to know that like they're they're beloved in the sight of their Lord? Like why why go mm. the long routes? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that when we study the text, we need to recognize that scripture is mostly about God. It's not mostly about us. And yes, we are part of God's redemptive story, but the story of scripture is the story of God creating us in his image and then coming to our rescue when we fall into sin. And it's about the glory of redemption as he purchases a people for himself. And so if I make it all about me, then I miss that beautiful arc that is part of the narrative of, well, you know, what we would call biblical theology, right? So uh, I think that we can be, if we give a shallow interpretation of a passage so that we can get right to the me today, me now, then we miss out on the wealth that is in the text. And we produce shallow Christians, shallow women and women's ministries with a shallow relationship with God, because there's a very me-centered uh, tendency that we have to fight against because it's in all of us. We all want to make things about ourselves and we have to try to exegete the text and not isogete it. Uh, take what's there and and pull it out instead of imposing our own thoughts into the text. And it's a challenge, but it's it's well worth the effort because the the gems that we draw out, the 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 mine full of gold that is there is precious. Yes, yes. And I I came across a quote from uh I read this from John Piper. He was saying that um uh raking is easy. You can, raking is very easy, but when you rake the surface of something, all you're gonna get is leaves. Mm -hmm. Digging is hard, but mm -hmm. if you dig, then you'll get gold. And uh yeah, that reminds me of what you're what you're saying. Yeah, there's that yeah. easy quick 
which is, yeah. you know, some nice pretty leaves or you could <laughs> dig deep and get that gold. Yep. I, I prefer gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So sounds like that's maybe some like hermeneutical lacks that you're noticing in maybe contemporary uh, women's ministry or Bible teaching. Um, mm-hmm. Are there any like homiletical stuff that you're seeing? Maybe not necessarily even specifically women's ministry, but like what are the sort of homiletical shortfalls that you're noticing or you think new people tend to do? Hmm. Well, I think that among Bible nerds, you know, among, you know, men and women who are really into the Bible, we might focus so much on explanation that we don't give enough attention to illustration and application. And I personally find it easiest to work on explanation because I've got the text in front of me and I'm so fascinated by it that I am just engrossed in all of the details. And I focus on the repetition of key words and um, the, the literary structure. And I'm all there that I forget that I need to build the bridge between the ancient text and the modern audience. And so I don't know, perhaps for your audience, this could be a pitfall because you've got a bunch of nerds listening We're Bible to nerds. you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't know if that's so much in broader evangelicalism. That's probably not the biggest uh, fault, but the biggest fault. But I think that with us Bible nerds, I think we need to remember that if we're not building that bridge, that we're not going to uh, help our audience live for Christ. We're just going to help them acquire head knowledge. And that's a challenge for me. And that's something that I'm working on. And that one thing that really helped me ironically was I took Brian Chapel's preaching, uh, gospel centered preaching. He came to Quebec uh, last year and he gave that class live in the middle of the pandemic. It was, you know, towards the end, but uh, still it was remarkable that it finally happened because it had been canceled. And so I, when I, I was sitting in his class and he said, what's, he asked the question, what's the most important part of preaching explanation, illustration, or application? And I was thinking, well, obviously explanation, right? Explanation. And he answered, no, it's, and I didn't say it out loud. Cause you know, I, I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to be the person who gets told by <laughs> Brian Chapel. And he said, no, it's application. And I would have thought that that sounded like wishy-washy, that that sounded like, you know, felt need, seeker sensitive, blah, blah, blah. But hearing it from the the godfather yeah. of Christocentric preaching, I was like, all right, I'm sold, especially once he explained it. So that has given me a renewed conviction that I need to put just as much effort into concrete examples of how this applies to my hearers today as I do in nerding out on, you know, the Greek and Hebrew and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, Haddon, Haddon Robinson said something that, you know, kind of does also kind of drive me towards putting the work into application or the, you know, the real life stories or the, or the hypothetical examples where this truth could. And he just said, like, he's like, people don't lay awake at night thinking about the chiastic structure of this psalm nor the um the layout of the temple no not even the life of Moses or Paul and he's like and they probably don't even lay up at night thinking about Jesus mm. they think about their kids they think about their dissatisfaction at work they think about the concerns that they're having and 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 we need to meet them there and then bring them into those more important things. And I was like, wow, yeah, that's that's true, you know? And even, okay, I'm a Bible nerd, but also 
when I lay in bed at night, sometimes I'm thinking about chiastic structures. Yeah. Most of the time, I'm just, I'm concerned about my kids. I, I really want Rosie to, to get better friends in her school so mm-hmm. that she'll be like, yeah, that it's not her job to be a good example on them, but that like she has good, yeah, I think about those types of things. Yeah. And yep. when someone addresses that from the front in an honest and like theological way, Mm-hmm. I'm just dialed in. And so yes. it's it's finding it's it's trying to find those entry points. And it's not a matter of like forcing the Bible into that, but saying like the Bible and the God of the Bible actually addresses those. Mm-hmm. And let me show you here. So yes. it's it, yeah, it's 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 funny enough, you, you <laughs> too much felt needs is bad. Mm-hmm. Zero felt needs is also bad. Oh, it's terrible. And I I come from a background where sometimes the tendency has been for preaching to be a running commentary. Mm-hmm. And, right. and Brian Chapel in that same class said himself, if I wanted to hear a commentary, I would have stayed home and read it. <laughs> Help me <laughs> tell me the, so what, you yeah. know, and that that's always ringing in my mind. So what, <laughs> uh, because the women I minister need to hear it. The women I'm training to teach other women need to hear it. And my children need to as well. So even Bible time, when we're, my husband and I are sitting around the couch with our girls, uh, we have two daughters, uh, Isabella's 13 and Evangeline's nine. And uh, when we're teaching them the scriptures, we want them to not just gain a knowledge of systematic theology or biblical theology, but also to be able to say, okay, so why does this matter when I go to school tomorrow and my friends all think X, Y, and Z, and I disagree with them? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Again, it's, it's, you can fall off the horse on either side. Only felt needs or not a single um, feeling is addressed. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you mentioned that you're you're you you want to train women to be doing this. Um, so you you do so through the TGC Quebec. Uh, it's also called Sola. Maybe mm-hmm. uh, in what context are you currently uh, training ladies in this way? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it began. Okay, well, I always had a vision for training women. I did it in Senegal. And then when I came to Quebec, I continued to have that desire and I was slowly integrating into ministry here. So um, for anyone who's listening, considering missions, when we arrive to a new field, our first year or two should just be learning the culture, sitting back, listening, and trying to understand uh, the unique aspects of that culture. You know, So the Lord helped me do that. Uh, and then I attended a... Charles Simeon Trust Workshop in 2018 in Toronto. And it's a seven hour drive and it's a four day commitment, one day to drive there, one day to drive back and two uh, and a half days to attend the the training itself. And I, I fell in love with their training. And even though I had done preaching courses in seminary and kept up that skill, I saw such a unique way of training other others. And this, so this is, this is a women's workshop and Simeon Trust does men's workshops. And so training women to teach the Bible through exposition was such um, uh, a necessary tool. And we don't have anything like that in Quebec. So I spent the following year trying to recruit women to attend the following workshop in Toronto. And all of my efforts yielded two women who could attend. And it was tough to get women to commit to those four days and to all the expense of paying for lodging and transportation and food and taking time off of work for something Uh, so far away. Uh, But then the pandemic struck and Simeon Trust had to go online just like everyone else around the world. And all of their workshops became available so that I was able to recruit what started out as two women from Quebec over the course of all that Simeon did on 
uh, during the pandemic, it became 16 women uh, from two from two different African countries, two from France, and 12 women from the province of Quebec attended these workshops that were translated into French over Zoom and that allowed them to study a text for themselves and be trained in exposition. And uh, out of that core group of women was birthed a ministry where uh, we, we started preparing studies online where we would split up the book of Philippians, for example, after the Philippians workshop, we split up the book of Philippians and this team of trained women, we taught through it verse by verse. And it's all on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, which is just Angie Thornton. It's all in French, but um, it's all there. And then we prepared There's discussion two questions. In English. There's two things yes. in English, let me say. <laughs> Thank you. Two, two. That's all. But the rest is in French. So if you, if any of our hearers know anyone who speaks French, they can share it if they don't. Uh, but um, these, uh, Bible studies began in that manner. And so I was coaching these women, I was helping them. So they would send me their manuscript. I would send it back to them and, uh, with some corrections, some suggestions, and then they would film themselves. And then, uh, in the midst of this training that I was kind of doing on my own with my mission, supporting it and uh, my pastor and my husband and, you know, different people that I'm accountable to were aware of what I was doing. I wasn't totally in a silo, but it was somewhat, uh, of my own thing. I posted a uh, question on a French theology group on Facebook. I said, is there any women in the French speaking world who are full-time paid women's ministry directors? And so it, it led to a thread, a discussion in which I learned, no, that just doesn't exist because churches in France are, and, and French speaking world, the French speaking world are so small. They have enough trouble paying their pastors. And uh, I learned that there is one woman uh, in Europe uh, who is a British missionary in France. And so she's full-time, but she's not supported by her church as much as by um, brothers and sisters back in her home country and so forth. And so after I posted that, I got a private message from Yannick Etier, who's the president of SOLA or Quebec TGC's branch. And he said, I saw your post uh, in that Facebook group. I'd, I'd love to chat with you. So we began a conversation where we met over Zoom and he offered me the position of women's ministry director for TGC Quebec. And it's just a one day a week paid position. Uh, and I still, re my husband and I still rely on our uh, support from churches and friends, but it was very much an honor and a a shift in somewhat in recognizing that there is a need to train women in expository teaching in order to equip them to make disciples. And he was making that statement uh, before all of the pastors in Quebec that he has a great amount of influence over. He's kind of like one of the, the godfathers here, one of the respected pastors of one of the biggest churches in Quebec. Uh, so uh, he kind of put me um, in touch with those who would be interested in training their women. And so in May of this past year, we had our first women's workshop in expository teaching, digging into the Psalms. And we had uh, women from all over Quebec come and join us. There was, we had prayed for a minimum of 30, uh, ideally 50, and, you know, let's prepare for 70. And we got almost 60 women signed up. And uh, we modeled a lot of what we did after what I had learned at Simeon Trust, but we adapted it to our own uh, needs and uh, kind of uh, ideas. Yeah. And so what we're doing this fall is that we're going a step further with the same um, idea of digging into the Psalms. And we're offering a six-week cohort in the book of Psalms where we'll meet two, two hours a week on Wednesday nights uh, for 
for two hours for six weeks. And we have pre-coursework. We have a reading and a YouTube video assignments for each week. And then the post-coursework will be to prepare a, an expository message in your assigned psalm. And then once I, our team has given that uh, sister feedback, she is then to uh, film herself and send it to us. And then from among those women, we would then prayerfully select the most gifted uh, women to then be the speakers at a conference that we hope to host. Uh, we plan to host with God's help in March or so. That would be the first conference for women by women who are from Quebec, because what tends to happen in Quebec is that we get great resources from around the English speaking Canada or from the US and they come and they speak and they bless us and give, but we would love to see women and men in, in the context of their ministries, but, but women raised up who can then minister in their own context, understanding the culture, uh, speaking the language and uh, also be equipped obviously to then start or continue women's ministries in the context of their local churches. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's, that's wild. That is, so it's essentially started from you visiting something and then thinking, Oh, I wish that I didn't have to drive seven hours for this. And then now it's, it's happening. That's, that's very encouraging and very inspiring. And as, as someone else who also just like cares about raising the standard of, of yeah, Bible teaching, that's really encouraging and a great thing to, to hear. Mm, wonderful. Um, Praise God. Now, if there's any Francophiles listening, um, when does this Psalm cohort start? Or oh, that's only open to um, people in Quebec. Is that right? Actually, no. Uh, so okay. I've been trying to rack my brain because uh, I write for a French blog in France. And I host a podcast with my uh, another female blogger, and so Link I've been will be trying, in the show notes. Yay! Um, and I try to always think, okay, well, if I write an article about this for the women in France and in French-speaking Africa, or Belgium and Switzerland and so forth, how can they take part? And so, what we're going to do is that, with the Lord's help, we will film every Wednesday night. We will film that session, and then the following day. We are uh, putting the pieces in place so that the women who want to attend the training in Europe don't have to stay up till two in the morning, but they can attend the recorded session. And during the small group discussion time, they can still have their small group discussion. And at our workshop, and incidentally, uh, we we did a post-workshop uh, survey where we asked what was one of the questions was, what was the most enriching part of your time? And they said the small group discussion times after each main teaching session were the most fruitful for us, where we were able to get together and discuss what we had learned. And so um, all that to say, yes, going back to what we said earlier, these discussion times help people assimilate uh, the truths that we have discovered, that they've discovered. So these, this, these small group discussion times will still be available, but the rest will all be recorded. Yeah, yeah, I'm all for the the interactive discussion parts. Uh, again, I'm not the best at making those questions, but it's such a there's different learning styles and it's a wonderful way even as somebody hears themselves say it. Um it comes out different than when they heard somebody else say it from from up front. Now, now did you say it? did I miss it but but when is it? When's the date? You it, it starts September 14th. Yeah. So excellent. I'd love to hear about that. I don't want to merely, I don't want to piggyback on top of this, but yeah, we, we have our own training events and in the early conversations about how are we going to, you know, structure the Expositors Collective training events. 
um, yeah, somebody, uh, Kellen Criswell was like really like insistent that there be as much, you know, circle time as, as possible that we, of course, we need to hear from the quote unquote expert up front, but then we also need to process it with a, yeah, a thoughtful and an informed group leader discuss, you know, discussion coordinator or facilitator. Um, but yeah, so we want to engage with all of these learning styles and types of people. Mm -hmm. Well, and what's funny is that as I'm sure you've noticed, even when you preach, it's funny what people, when they're people, many of us who are verbal processors will say something that I really, I really enjoyed what you said. And then you're like, did I say that? Mm -hmm. You know? So even in those small group discussions, sometimes what comes out adds to the riches of what were said during the sermon, because you didn't say that, (laughs) or you didn't say that in your teaching session. But if others are hearing uh, one another's reflections and development of what was said, then we're further enriched by one another's thoughts and not just the preacher or teacher. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is it in Ephesians or I think Paul prays somewhere that they would, you know, together with all the saints, grasp mm. the height, depth, width, breadth of the, the love of God. And I, I love that there is some kind of like, it's almost like you need all the saints to get it, to get it, you know? And so we learn from each other. We learn from the broader church. And then we also learn from our, even our own context. Like, mm-hmm. how are you experiencing the love of God? And I want to learn mm-hmm. together with all the saints, these truths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Angie, final question. So how are you like trying to grow? You obviously have like been on this learning path thus far. You probably haven't like reached the zenith um, oh, no. these days. Um, oh, no. What's something that you personally are trying to get better at? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, uh, w- ways that I'm ter- currently trying to grow is I love listening to podcasts like yours. Uh, there's also TGC's Help Me Teach the Bible with Nancy yeah. Guthrie, which yeah. I love. It's on reruns uh, now. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I'm trying to figure out which ones I've already listened to because there's so many, but oh, so good. Do you know my favorite one? My favorite yes. episode is it, it was with um. He's the he currently is in. He's the new director of the Gospel Coalition. Um, a Korean American man, mm-hmm. um, Julius Kim. Kim. Mm-hmm. Yes. He did this fantastic interview about like how the, and part of it was like how the brain works and how we mm. can like teach in such a way that helps people's brains to process it. Mm. I've listened to that one, I think like four or five times. It's like mm. so captivating. I actually, I went and bought his book to to learn more about that. I haven't read it yet, but I, but I, <laughs> <laughs> it's in the so, queue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's a massive, ever-growing queue. But yes. uh, I had to just get get a plug out for that one because that one's mm. such a great, fascinating interview. So mm. I'll have to re-listen to that because it sounds familiar. It's worth listening to four times, I think. Yes. <laughs> well, the one I've listened to four times is Jim Hamilton's interview on typology and the Psalms. And oh, it was so good. And my husband went to seminary with him and has, you know, kind of reached out to him to ask him a question or two here or there. And uh, it was so helpful as I've been preparing on the Psalms and I've recommended it to so many women. In fact, it's one of the assigned listening homework assignments ah. for our, our cohort in the fall. So, oh, it's so good. Um, but the other podcast I listen to is uh, the Simeon Trust has a podcast called Preacher's Talk. Mm, yes, uh, which yeah. is also it's new. Good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's newish. Mm-hmm. And then I love reading, uh, preaching books and, uh, one that I especially enjoy that I read not long ago is preaching Christ from the old Testament by Sidney Gradenis. Okay. Uh, so, uh, I'm teaching in the Psalms right now. I'm focusing on the Psalms and we've already, uh, planned. So this 
sequence of events that I mentioned where we have a workshop in May followed by a, a cohort in the fall and then a conference in the winter. That's all something that we, uh, by God's grace, plan to do annually. And our next one will be in Exodus. And so I'm fascinated by the Old Testament. And I think it's so important to teach women how to make that connection so that those Old Testament stories aren't just cool stories about, oh, look, kids, Jesus, I mean, God parted the Red Sea um, with Moses and so forth, but help them see that this is something that, these, these stories all point us to Christ. And so I loved how he gave me some more tools in my arsenal for uh, interpreting the Old Testament in light of Christ. And then I, I'm also taking online courses. Uh, so Charles Simeon Trust offers $19 excellent online courses. And uh, I'll, since the workshop, by God's providence, the workshop that is uh, taking place in Toronto this fall, where I've been asked to, I've, I'm I'm one of their small group leaders. I've been asked to lead a small group for the Simeon Trust workshop in Toronto, and it's on the Psalms. And wow. so I just love that the Lord brought all of that together. So I already took their wisdom literature course, but I'm going to be taking it again um, because it's so good and it's always a refresher. And then my dream is to do a demon in expository preaching. Um, one of my mentor coach kind of figures is um, Taylor Turkington. And she was the women's uh, training director at TGC in the States. And then uh, when the pandemic struck, so much of their funding, which depended on their conferences, uh, was no longer there. So they had to let some of their uh, wonderful people go. So Taylor, who did her demon in expository preaching at uh, Western Seminary in Portland, she um, was able to start her own ministry called Bible Equipping. So I highly recommend their resources. Bible Equipping does weekend um, events that are similar to Simeon Trust, but at a more accessible level for women who are just being introduced to um, Bible teaching. And they also do cohorts. So our cohort at uh, SOLA in TGC Quebec is modeled somewhat after what Taylor does, where she offers six-week intense uh, teachings uh, through uh, different genres or um, different uh, uh, emphases in ex exposition. So um, I would love to be able to do that someday. And she's an inspiration to me. So just a plug for Bible equipping. It'll also be a, show, a link in the show notes. And and do you know what, Angie? I also want to do a demon and expository preaching. Mm. So we'll see who gets there first. <laughs> Where um, are you thinking of doing it? Well, I mean, I'm currently at Western Seminary. Um, so mm. I'm I'm doing a an online learning cohort with them uh, for my master's. So mm -hmm. I yeah, I, I haven't even gotten my first step towards a master's yet. So I'm, I'm working towards master's and then possibly MDiv after, or sorry, demon after that. Uh, but yeah. We'll, we'll see. I can't even pronounce it properly. So you're probably already closer to it than I am. <laughs> okay. Okay. So Angie, you've said how you're currently trying to improve as in like, what are the, 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 the teachings and the, the cohorts and the learnings and the mm -hmm. books? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe a, a final, final question is like, mm -hmm. what are you trying to improve? What, mm -hmm. what would you like at the end of this to be like, well, I'm better at this now than I was then. Mm -hmm. Well, like I've mentioned, application is something that I've seen how hard it is for my brothers who preach on a regular basis, especially in our nerdy theology circles where some of the most beloved preachers tend to just preach running commentary and they can get away with it because they write commentaries and they write books that are the content that they preach. But in our everyday teaching, application needs to be stronger. And it's something that I am making efforts towards. And it's something that I'm encouraging the women uh, that I train 
to really focus on. And I'm having the women that I'm on this leadership team with. There's two women in particular, um, Debbie and Valerie are my my right hand women and we help each other. So we review each other's manuscripts and notes and I'm always asking them to help me. So that's something that I'm I'm really trying to emphasize. And I'm definitely doing it more than I did at the beginning when I tended to model myself after the running commentary style preachers. Uh, so, and the other thing is, really trying to simplify the structure. And one thing that I also learned from Brian Chappell is that our hermeneutical outline and our homiletical outline are not the same thing. You know, yeah. so when I discover the structure of the passage, yes, okay, so that's that's what the them then is all about. But when I prepare an outline for my hearers, I want to take that ancient text and summarize it in three and four points. They don't have to be alliterative. They don't have to be the most brilliant, but they yeah. should address you today. And I'm, I'm trying to work on making sure that I'm really structuring my uh, messages so that the women can take away their big idea and a homiletical structure that really speaks to them and that doesn't leave them in the Red Sea wondering why this is important to me. Yeah. Well, I, I, um, it, it wasn't a Simeon Trust workshop, but it was something kind of modeled after that. And I, I, I audited it. Um, and it's actually uh, Dr. Ian Clary. He's Canadian. Do you know him? He's mm, he's yeah. he's on a TGC podcast um, into theology. If you oh, cool. yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've realized not all Canadians know each other, so <laughs> forgive me for making those assumptions. But you're both TGC podcasters, or T- mm. so I thought maybe. But anyway, so um, during one of our breakout groups that uh, Dr. Clary was leading, he talked about the difference between, yeah, the hermeneutical structure and then the homiletical outline. And in my mind, it's like, those are exactly the same thing. Why, why would there be a difference? Like, you know, like it is what it is. And so you just <laughs> say, you just say what it says. And, and that, cause it was kind of this being you know, a beginning germ in my mind in this regard, where it's like, okay, my job is not just to explain every single word and verb and structure, but it's to say, and this is what it means for you. And I want to, you know, present Christ to you and, and extend this offer of forgiveness or hope or reconciliation or this challenge to you. And so that was a, a, a one of those pivotal moments. And I thank all Canadians on behalf of Dr. Clary for that. <laughs> oh, that's great. Is that with Wyatt Graham? No, um, it was with uh, Munster Bible College, which is um, it's an initiative from like the the Baptist Church in town, mm. and so they they brought him in to to do a class, and um, oftentimes I I audit those classes because uh, I want to keep on learning, and we love Baptists and Baptists love us, <laughs> Baptists like us, <laughs> so we get to we get to hang out. So that's kind of a cool you know interchurch. We're all maybe same in Canada. There's a bunch of small churches here in, in Cork and Ireland. And so, um, I think there's probably a lot more like fraternal, well, shouldn't say fraternal, uh, a lot more (laughs) siblings, um, you know, uh, here than maybe in other parts of of the world where Southern California, where each of us grew up, where there's maybe more adversarial or I don't know, tribalism oriented tribalism. That's, that's yeah. what I'm looking for. Yeah. Uh, whereas here it's like, listen, you know, in Cork, uh, we're like one or 2% of the population. So mm-hmm. it's like, let's try to help each other out. Um, yes. Anyway, that's a mini rant. <laughs> I should probably wrap this up. <laughs> and here's what I say at the end of every episode. I say, I hope that this podcast and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. And off français. 
Yes. J'espère que ce podcast et tout ce que nous faisons chez Expositors Collective vous aidera à grandir dans votre étude personnelle et votre proclamation publique de la parole de Dieu. Awesome. Amen. Thank you, Angie. Amen. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Mike. It was a pleasure to be here. Well, hey, thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. Thanks, Angie. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Uh, thank you so much for the French version of the podcast tagline that you threw in there at the end. I really appreciate that. All right. I got two things to say. All right. So one of them is that Angie was saying that she traveled all the way uh, across the country of Canada to attend a Bible training workshop. And then her thought was, I've got to bring that to my own home city. And that's great. And you know what? That's the story of Noah Beamer. Noah Beamer lives in Boise, Idaho. He serves uh, as a pastor at Calvary Boise. He visited, he flew to Colorado to attend one of our training events. And he had that exact same thought. I've got to bring this to Boise, Idaho. And so in a moment, you're going to hear Noah speak about how he wanted so badly for the Expositors Collective to come to his city, and now it's happening October 14th and 15th. But before that plays, let me also remind you that Angie spoke about how a man by the name of Dr. Brian Chapel played an integral role in her even ongoing growth, understanding how to teach and preach to people's real needs. Well, guess what? He is the next guest on this podcast. So you're going to have two clips. First, Noah talking about bringing expositors to Boise. And then we're going to have kind of an, an elongated preview of the next episode with Dr. Brian Chapel. All right. I hope that this episode, I hope our in-person training events, and I hope next week's episode help you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Here is Noah Beamer followed by Dr. Brian Chappell. Hello, everyone. This is Noah Beamer, one of the pastors here at Calvary Boise. Uh, I want to invite you to come out to the next Expositors Collective training event that we are going to be hosting on October 14th and 15th. I got to attend one of these last fall in Colorado Springs, and I thought, man, I'd really like to see this happen in Idaho. And now here we are, and I get to invite you to it. Um, the training event goes from Friday to Saturday. It's an interactive learning experience with teachings from the front, panel discussions, and lots to take part in with group work and coaching with great concrete tips to help you grow in your understanding and personal study and sharing of God's word. So Boise, Idaho is absolutely gorgeous in the fall with lots to do and plenty to explore outdoors. So I really hope you can come join us this October for the next Expositors Collective. I had to learn that preaching was not a performance, but actually trying to minister Christ to his people. And that had much less to do with, as I said, rhetorical flourish as connecting the truths of God's word to the hurts or the sins or the desires or the dreams of God's people. How, how do I take that, that word and help people to sense that Christ himself is ministering to them through his word. And for someone who'd been trained in a kind of competitive debate, I, there was that hard transition of going from, how do I reach people with the gospel, for instance? And there was a time in my life I thought, well, if I can just defeat them in argument, you know, I'll just convince them 
of the truth, then, then of course, they'll become Christians. And that, that put me in the mode of, I'll just crush their arguments, and then, of course, they'll believe. Well, you, you know how effective that was. I had to learn what it meant to, to love lost people when they were angry at God, angry at me, angry at the church, to actually love them beyond their barriers, and to try to say, this is how Christ actually wants you to hear uh, his word. And I, that's not just lost people. I mean, that's, that's people in the church who have their own barriers up often. It was not my instinct. Again, I coming from a shattered uh, kind of family background, my calloused soul was well-hardened against feeling much or becoming very vulnerable. And I confess, I, I think I knew a lot about public speaking and very little about uh, the pastoral care that God needed. So what what did I learn over time? I think over time I became less formal. There there was a time I was sure that the be, you know the best argument was uh, the most convincing argument. I actually believe at this point the argument that people feel most connects their heart to God's word is what is most convincing. I'm not talking about not ministering from logic or mind, but I'm saying it's very much identifying how does this reach you? And I became so much more concerned for that, but that's that's always a, a growth aspect. I think one of the neat things the Lord did in my life was, even though I've had a lot of different aspects of my career, you know, being kind of a church executive, being a seminary professor or president, I, I've, the Lord has always kind of looped me back into the church at different points in my career. And I think that has been for my soul's correction. <laughs> Because each time I'm tempted to just kind of make this a task, the Lord kind of takes me back to saying, you know, if you're not really connecting to the hearts of people, then however ornate or accurate may be your message, it's not really what Christ can use best. So you're aware, Mike, I mean, I do a lot of writing of what best communicates, so I, I certainly know those factors. I have a PhD in that material. But I, I'm still getting my PhD in pastoring and, and believing what that means. 